0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, April 18th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. The 1920s offer a great example of how governments could tax and spend when the will is there. Amity Schlaes details some of this in her new book, Coolidge. She presented at the Cato Institute last week. I, I don't know who looked at the budget uh, that the uh, White House um, issued. Um, I kind of had... A, a, a Cyprus moment, uh, looking at it, um, uh, particularly page 18, the right column, um, where it says something about uh, 401ks and um, IRAs that I I didn't hadn't seen before. Did you see this? Um, where, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but it basically said tax preferred accounts should be uh, people should get be able to save in their tax preferred account. About 205000 per annum, that seemed to the White House, the appropriate retirement amount. So, I mean, about enough so they would have 205000 per annum, or a total of $3 million in in such accounts. And then it didn't really say, um, what happens when you hit $3 million in that account? Um, is it over? Do they take some of the money out? But it seemed to be more than just uh, ceasing to contribute to such an account, um, and that really, um, this, this one area ought to be uh, governed by even more rules, and um, uh, this one area of the tax preferred account, well, we should kind of get used to the idea of the government hand going in, the greedy hand going into that area more than we had uh, expected before. And I, I think there were two uh, reactions of people who read this, uh, and then the White House allowed that they, they, the government would get $9 billion in revenue over 10 years, that's not that much, uh, from, from this change, um, it thought, um, by, by restricting these accounts in some new way. Um, and the first reaction one has is some of my money is being taken away uh, because it will be taxed more aggressively if it can't be in this account, or it will be of a penalty when I take it out in order to conform with the rules. But the second reaction one tends to have when one hears something like that is um, a sense of distrust That was an area I thought you wouldn't mess with. Uh, I trusted you over on that, and now even there, you're going to take from me, reach into my pocket. And those are two different things. One is the number um, my tax bill will go up, the number that the government gets will change. That's sort of a math, a a calculation um, that has to do with the number of the budget or the size of the government. But the second one is about trust. Um, a civic problem. And of course, trust contributes to growth, too. So this lunch, almost lunch, I thought I'd tell you the story. Um, can I grab that book? It kind of is my security blanket today. Um, the story um, of what happened in the 20s, thank you, Marion, in relation to these uh, two things. It's a little bit of a surprising story. Um, uh, Marion mentions uh, in there that the tax rate got down to 24%, um, the top marginal rate, which, as you know, is below Ronald Reagan's 28%. Do you know the president whose rate was 24? It wasn't Calvin Coolidge, it was Hoover. Um, so I'm going to talk about that. Um, the story of the t- 20s tax experience um, is a tax triumph, but it's also a tax tragedy in some way for. Um, Coolidge, the the president, from 23 to 29, Hoover's predecessor, this 30th president of the United States. It's a real drama. um, And and we don't usually have economic dramas. Or we have them, but nobody else appreciates them. Uh, So what I like about Coolidge is uh, mostly presidents are war presidents. They're commanders in chief. right? And we know that economics takes heroes and bravery. Coolidge was an economic hero for us. Um, an economic commander-in-chief, an economic general, um, one who sometimes chose not to command and delegated to colonels. I'll talk about that. Who refrained from commanding on principle of delegation and who won his war because he was a good general in that way. He got the tax rates down to 25. He got the revenues up. He, um, the one takeaway about Coolidge uh, for anyone, any year, any time... Is that when he left office after those 67 months, he came in in 1923 upon Harding's death and left in March 29, the federal budget was actually lower than when he came in. Um, And right away, when you're talking to students or policy people, they'll say, Is that relative to GDP? Or is that real, uh, Amity? You know, the um, sophisticated people will ask questions like that. It was real and it was nominal because they had deflation. And it was not relative to GDP, notwithstanding strong growth. Our project's called the 4% growth project. They had very strong growth in the 20s like that. Notwithstanding increase in the population, notwithstanding um, anything, they actually shrank the budget um, under Coolidge. Um, it's a little complicated story with a few twists and turns, and I want to say again, I'm grateful to Dan and Marion, my two good friends, and Cato, a very good friend to me of long standing. Probably the third or fourth book I've presented here for, for for giving me this time. Um, the story doesn't start complicated. It starts with an economic situation uh, similar to our own in some surprising ways. Early 20s, um, the debt of the country is much higher than people imagined it, it could be just a few years earlier um, from the war. So they go up. Uh, 10 billion, 20 billion, towards 30 billion. When they had expected the debt to be about two, Um, inflation, uh, energy was the energy sector was doing great. People getting automobiles. Remember. There was inflation, though. Prices, well, prices were too high, but the government wasn't admitting it was inflation. That's very similar to now. Um, The Treasury Secretary uh, of Wilson McAdoo rivaled uh, our current Treasury Secretaries in his hubris about money and spending and our, our current Fed um, the taxes were already high. Uh, you know that, I think Marion said that the taxes were in the 70s coming out of the war. There was a large spread between the price of municipal bonds and the price of corporate bonds, reflecting um, the fact that companies and individuals were fleeing, there was a capital strike, um, the tax sector to hide in the untaxed municipal bonds. Um, the, the, this tax engine was rather inefficient. If you look in the charts, you can see that there were only 21 returns filed by people earning over a million dollars um, in the early one of the early 20s years. That meant a lot of people, there were more millionaires than that. A lot of people were hiding their money somewhere. There was abiding, troubling unemployment. There were two groups that were kind of angry, seeking entitlements. Um, remember, the progressive movement is on the march, and in Europe, there are outright revolutions. And a lot of the American soldiers coming home have seen the European Revolution, thought they might like to do something somewhat similar at home. Uh, the one group that's quite angry are the veterans. Remember how many people served in World War I? It was universal conscription. Remember, there were no antibiotics. Um, uh, remember that their wives did not work when these soldiers came home. So they came home in pain with the prospect of reduced employment um, and uh, not much help, and they wanted a pension, basically something like Social Security. That's the bonus that you've heard about. And the second entitlement group, I I think um, I would call them that, are the farmers who wanted some kind of permanent equilibrating subsidy, especially as prices began to go on. So it's an angry country, right, that Harding and Coolidge encounter when uh, they come in. Um, There's very little voter trust. You don't trust the military very much after you've been through it often, right? Uh, The the trust level, uh, you know, there are times in our country feels like a bad airport, that was one. This is one, too. You, you, whereas this boarding pass is fake. I have to get another boarding pass. You go to the place with your boarding pass and whoops, they won't accept it. It was it's that, that that trust level. There were riots. Coolidge actually came to prominence because of the way he handled the riot following the police strike in Boston. He put it down with force. Very bitter moment. Um, Driven in good measure, I want to add, by unacknowledged inflation, the policemen would not have struck had prices not gone up fifty or sixty percent while their wages stayed the same. What to do? Uh, Coolidge, you know, temperament is part of the story. He was born in Vermont. His father collected the snow tax in his town, Plymouth Notch, a town where the railroad chose not to go railroad all over Vermont, but not Plymouth Notch. His father was the sheriff who took the people in the cart when they didn't pay their taxes, maybe to to the jail, including people he knew very well. His father ran the schools and had to figure out how to pay the teacher. Very uh, tight background of farming people in a place that, that the government later determined in the New Deal so wonderful. The New Deal is wonderful. It determined that scarcely an acre of Coolidge's hometown, Plymouth Notch, was arable. They're farming there, but it's not worth it, right? Um, so he was a, a, a tight type, um, and he knew from experience you had to hold on to pennies, and he didn't really like to risk losing pennies, either for the government or for himself. He, it, that was bred in him, and I was also, I would say, genetic, a personality. Um, and the emblem of Coolidge's mentality vis-a-vis, fis- he was not a Jack Kemp he was not a large, happy fiscal hero. He he was tight, um, and the em, the way you know, uh, kind of the emblem that I found that fit, suited Coolidge best. It was so typical uh, Coolidge was he. The White House got twin lion cubs uh, from a mare in South Africa. Nice gift. Mrs. Coolidge loves animals. They love kitty cats, etc. The White House of the Coolidges they named those lion cubs, budget bureau and tax reduction. And and they were even weight. They were fed with steaks and kept at an even weight. So there wasn't a big old lion called tax cut and a little bitty weenie runty lion called budget bureau. They were even. And that is the Coolidge personality as he confronts, you know, what they're going to do. Amity Schles is author of Coolidge. You can watch the full event for the book at cato.org.